Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. And I do let Eric talk. (laughs) It's not often. Well, Merry Christmas. This is it. If you're not ready, too late. Ah, you got a few days. You'll make it happen. So we've been celebrating a simple Christmas, and we've been thinking about several things. A simple hope, which is not I wish things could be okay, but I have a confidence that God is in all things working for my good. Not just my good, the good of the people around me, the good of the people that are happening in the world, that God has an intention and a destiny and a teleos for all of creation, and it is a redemptive story. And then we're celebrating a simple song. I hope you found your voice. I hope you found your song in the season. I hope some part of you is singing as you celebrate this season, because you ought to. And then last week, our children reminded us it's a simple plan. Uh, you know, we're not, it's not about how much has God given us what we want. It's about us fitting into his plan. I'm pretty sure I love that song. I'm pretty sure that's the plan. Yeah, pretty sure that's the plan. Your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Pretty sure that's what it's about. And then today we're going to talk about a simple audience. So I'd like to know up front, what is your predisposition as an audience in the season. Even this morning, I mean, we can narrow it down to what's your predisposition. Because generally people come to church, well, I don't know. I mean, I observe this. On my social media feed, you know, I'll get comedians pop up on my social media feed, and I like to laugh. And sometimes I listen to these comedians, and I don't laugh. I just think it's not funny. But they're in a room full of people, and all the people are laughing. And I'm thinking, how's that work? Well, they bought a ticket to go to a comedy club. They are predisposed to laugh. So it's funnier to them than it is to me. (laughs) What is your predisposition as an audience when you walk into this space to worship God? Are we predisposed to worship? I mean, sometimes, I'll be honest, it feels like this. All right, show us what you got. See if you can pull us out of our sadness and loneliness and tell us something profound that we've never heard. You do know there's only one sermon. We just repackage it every week. Amen? For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's every sermon. Every single one. We just repackage it. What is your predisposition as an audience? It's interesting to do multiple services so closely together because you have a great deal to do with how it goes. I don't know if you're aware of that. Somebody told me the other day, hey, you know, when we were all online and it was just, you know, you you were online every week, you weren't that good. (laughs) And I said, thank you, that's... Well, I mean, no, I don't mean, I mean, I just mean, I mean, you know, you weren't yourself. Yeah, well, it was a terrible audience. I mean, you understand? Uh, It weren't very funny, see? 
<laughs> See, you weren't very funny. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but I don't really write jokes. Just sometimes when I'm looking at you, I think of funny things. <laughs> kind of happens in real time, you know. So when nobody's out there, when there's no feedback, when there's no energy coming back this way, you know, you're just like droning. Maybe you've noticed sometimes, you know, that if, you, if you've ever like been to any other service besides this one, because this is the one that's online. Have you ever been to another service and then you watch online? You're like, I don't know where that, the other service was so different. Yeah, because a different audience, it's a different service. Just different every time. What is your predisposition as an audience? Way back in the run-up to Christmas 1962, the world was in a, a set of circumstances that were unlike anything the world had really ever faced. In fact, if you took the month from October 16th to November 20th, 1962, you could argue that it was the most tense single month in the history of human beings. I, I think you could make a compelling argument. So earlier in 1962, the, the United States had planted nuclear whip weapons in Turkey, mid-range missiles in Turkey and, and uh, some of the other uh, uh, European countries. And it seems like the Soviet Union didn't like that much. So the Soviet Union brought missiles over to Cuba. Maybe you remember all this in your history books. <laughs> you know, October 16th, there was confirmation published in the newspaper that the missile sites existed. Show pictures of them. And I don't know, but people in this country got a little, a little bit upset, a little bit frightened. And we entered into a season that we know now as the Cuban Missile Crisis. What's fascinating about it is, literally, for that period of time, the world didn't really know if we were going to see a, an all-out nuclear war or if somebody was going to back down or who was going to back down. And the language was very important. So John F. Kennedy, who knew he had to do something, he decided that he had to be careful what he said and how he said it. And so he said, what we're going to do is we're going to create a quarantine. Quarantine was not a term that meant anything in any military terms but blockade meant something, and it meant hostility. And so he chose not to have a blockade, but instead he had a quarantine, which was a blockade, but he didn't call it that. So you got in your head, ships are coming from the Soviet Union with nuclear weapons. U.S. warships are planted off the coast and surrounding Cuba, quarantining the country, and the world waits. Goes to bed every night not knowing if they'll wake up. Wakes up every morning, thankful that the sun came up. Noel Radke and his wife, Shane, Gloria Shane, are two songwriters. They have been commissioned by a music producer to write a Christmas song. And that happens uh, in the fall, and so they're trying to rack their brains about how to get a Christmas song written, and then the Cuban Missile Crisis comes. One of the things that they talk about is the fact that uh, there were midterm elections in 1962, and nobody cared. Nobody cared. They didn't argue over it. They didn't get upset about it. They didn't watch the returns. They, they didn't care because they were hoping to breathe. And it's funny how things change, isn't it? And Regney and Shane were saying, husband and wife team, were saying, we're racking our brains as to come up with a Christmas song, and we don't feel it. We're not feeling it. We are not feeling it. We don't have any Christmas spirit. We don't have anything we want to talk about. We don't have anything. Everything seems sort of lame. 
And they say that they were in New York and they were sitting on a park bench and they were watching parents push their children around in strollers. And what pierced their heart was a prayer. Pray for peace, people everywhere. And they wrote a song around that phrase. Pray for peace, people. Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Do you know what I know? Are you listening to what I'm listening to? It's a powerful song. <laughs> powerful because it's, it's saying to people, listen, don't forget what you're... Yeah, I, I, I know the crisis in Cuba made you not think about the crisis in Washington, but how about the crisis in the manger makes you not think about the crisis in Cuba? <laughs> how about the beauty and the power of the message of the season might bring you peace even in the midst of heartache and fear and uncertainty the predisposition of the audience matters I, I love the fact that if you talked a minute about the coronation of kings in the history of Israel that we get sort of this contrasting story going on and so way back when you know a couple weeks ago we talked about Hannah and Mary and Hannah's song and Mary's song and then we you know out of that we have the birth of Samuel and Samuel grows up to anoint the first king the first king of Israel. Now, what Israel is hoping for in having a king is peace. Everybody doing okay, by the way? Good. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas. I hope you're all ready. I hope you're excited. I hope this is uh, good stuff. Uh, it's kind of changing. The, same, the season is changing a little bit as we become more automated. We'll think about that. So, over in 1 Samuel 10, listen to this. This is the coronation of King Saul the first king of Israel, they're praying and hoping for peace. They think a king will bring it to them. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe, I want you to picture this coronation, okay? When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes. Some reason when I read this, I think about Disney World. I don't know, it feels like all the tribes of the world have converged. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? The Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Not very kingly. I'm always fascinated by people who think the scripture is propaganda. If it was propaganda, I would have left this sentence. I would have edited this. They ran, and they brought him out, and he stood among the people, and he was a head taller than any of the others. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then all the people shouted, Long live the king. Now that's a coronation. I mean, if you're going to install a king, get the whole country out and make them stand there tribe by tribe. They don't know if the king's coming from their tribe or from a different tribe. If this was Hollywood, then Benjamin would have been the last tribe because, you know, you wouldn't want him to be the first tribe because it would be like, okay, we're already done. No. And the whole country is full of anticipation and watching this process unfold. And then the tribe of Benjamin is chosen and then they go clan by clan by clan by clan until a clan is chosen and then they pray and they go through the clan and they find the man and the man is hiding somewhere. And then they bring him out and they stand him up and everybody looks at him and says, man, 
That's a king. <laughs> and they all say, long live the king. I don't know how long this process took, but it seems to me that this would be a typical choice of human beings of how to coronate a king. That you, you get everyone together and you do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of moving people around. There's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of going through the motions. You've got to stand over there. You've got to wait over there. You've got to go over there. Okay, you can come this way. We need to put you through security. We've got some stuff to look at. There's a lot of stuff going on in the coronation of the king. But everybody knows it is a big power play. Get it right out there in the front window. Let everybody see what it is. And I would think there's a whole lot of people in that audience that are being analytical, that are sort of, you know, I guess we've got to stand here now. Okay, so now this is the long live the king part. Okay, here we go. A little bit later, Saul is deposed as king. In fact, if you're looking at the story flow, chapter 10, Saul is anointed king. Chapter 16, the next king is crowned. That coronation is a little different. It happens to King David, and it's recorded like this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things other people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then he called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, The Lord's not chosen this one either. And Jesse had Shammah pass. He said, this was not the one the Lord's chosen. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord's not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him, and he had him brought in, and he was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel went to Ramah. So, so the first audience is everyone. I mean, everybody's out there. They're going through the motions. They're doing the kingly stuff. It's a public proclamation everybody sees. But the second one happens only in front of David's family. Now, it makes sense that this has to be sort of a quiet deal because I don't know if you know this, but in the old times when there were kings, if you anointed another king, that could be considered treasonous. In fact, if you read history, you know that a lot of heads got lopped off for things like this. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of jealousy going on. So you've got to keep this one quiet. But something happens as a result of this little coronation of King David in the privacy of his own friends and family, and that is that his brothers are rather skeptical about the kingly nature of David. And it takes a very long time for any of them to come around. In fact, not only do they not really buy into the fact that David is kingly material, they actually mock and ridicule him. They actually give him quite a difficult time. You could say that the audience at the second coronation is pretty cynical about what's going on. And that's kind of how human beings work, isn't it? Sometimes there's some big old proclamation things where we're just going through the motions and we're just doing the next thing and we're just following through on the logistics and the analytics. And then other times things sort of become subversive and underground and we feel a little cynical. What is your predisposition as an audience for the season. Are you just going through the motions? <laughs> it's easy to do that. 
There's a lot going on. I, I, I mean, it's easy to go through the motions of the season without getting into the spirit of the season. It's easy to get through it without ever feeling much of anything, isn't it? I'll wait. I mean, it's ironic that we're talking about the predisposition of the audience. And <laughs> Thank you. There is that third coronation of a king, and they're all sort of tied together. King Saul, King David, the shepherd boy from whose line will come the chosen one. The third coronation is sort of the prouse between the two, isn't it? It's, it's not a full public proclamation where everyone's present, and it's a little bit bigger than just family and friends. It unfolds for us in Luke chapter 2. It goes like this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think for a moment there seems to be kind of a, a, a significant moment happening here and how the audience is chosen and why God chose this audience makes a big difference. And I see four things that I think are worth us talking about this morning. Number one, this is an audience of the broken. It's an audience of the broken. I, I just think when you think about the shepherds and you think about who they are and you think about how they fit into the greater context of society, these folks didn't have a great reputation. They, they didn't stand out as being significant in the culture. They, they didn't really have a place. They didn't really have a spot. In fact, shepherds in the first century were considered to be somewhat at the very bottom of the scale. They couldn't participate in all of the religious ritual because of the lifestyle they were forced to lead in order to take care of the sheep. They couldn't participate in the ceremonial washings. They couldn't show up at the temple daily. They couldn't do the things that they needed to do to be a part of the religious establishment. Therefore, they were despised in the culture. They were despised in the culture. You understand what I'm saying? Let me say it again. They were despised. They weren't neutral. They were not thought well of in the culture. They did not participate in the minimum requirement to be a decent human being, i.e., participate in the rules of Judaism. How ironic that God chose these folks to be the audience for the coronation of the King of Kings. Not only could they not participate in the religious organization, but their nomadic lifestyle, because they had to move to keep the sheep fed had developed a reputation. They were kind of considered to be people that were, you know, known for sticky fingers. You, you, it wouldn't be uncommon to hear someone say in the first century, oh, the shepherds are in town. Lock up your stuff. Lock up your children. Shepherds are in town. They take more than they leave. They'll steal you blind. 
In fact, so untrustworthy were shepherds in the first century. You know the Jewish law. The Jewish law was to be convicted of a crime, you had to have two witnesses to bear witness to the fact that you had done it. Shepherds could not be witnesses in court. They were culturally so despised and mistrusted. And, and don't you imagine the, the significance of God choosing this audience for the coronation moment of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is a message to you and it's a message to me? You might get all uppity in your religiosity. But the good news of a Savior is for broken people. For people who don't have it together. For people who haven't figured it out. Who haven't solved the problem. That can't parse all the theology. It's for folks that fit into the prophetic word. He will set the prisoners free and bind up the brokenhearted. And maybe you come into this season and your predisposition might be one of going through the motions. It might be one of cynicism. But if you are a part of the broken, this is a celebration for you. For whatever part of you is broken. In fact, I should say that differently. If you're a part of the broken, we are all a part of the broken. You just, have we been broken lately? <laughs> are we kind of healed? Are we partially healed? Are we about... We're, this is good news that will be for all people. For unto us a Savior is born. Somebody who can crawl into the brokenness and make a difference. It's a simple audience of the broken. It's also a simple audience of the unseen. I, I know you probably know this, but I like obscure historical information. <laughs> Woo! Some people are like, okay, I can sleep through this part. So I don't know if this is true or not, because this is an obscure historical piece of information. But there is a law in Israel that you can't raise sheep within a certain number of miles of Jerusalem. Because sheep are messy and they stink. So, so you can't raise sheep within a certain area. The area around Bethlehem falls within the parameter of this prohibited space. You're not allowed to raise sheep in this prohibited space. So historians tell us that this story about the shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. By the way, if you go to Bethlehem now, you can go to the shepherd's fields, so the same fields as the fields of Boaz. There's a great history about the fields in which the shepherds are residing. It's worth going. It's worth seeing. It's worth investigating. But you don't have all day to be here, so I won't tell you all of it. There's only one kind of sheep that can be raised within this prohibited zone. And those are the sheep that are intended for sacrifice at the temple. I'm trying to imagine if this historical tidbit is true. That these are the shepherds who are raising the sacrificial lambs that will be the heart of the Jewish understanding of forgiveness and redemption. Without these shepherds, all the pomp and circumstance over at the temple ain't happening. Because these Lambs have to be without blemish. These lambs have to be perfect. These lambs are a very special kind. These lambs take a very special kind of care. I'm wondering what it would be like to be a shepherd. 
raising the unblemished lambs for sacrifice at the temple and being despised in your culture and looked down upon by the religious leaders who rely on your daily effort in order to function. I I might feel taken advantage of. I might feel taken for granted. I might feel like I am just a cog in the machine and I am not getting my fair share of recognition and honor for the meaningful work I'm doing. I'm so glad that you and I don't share those sort of emotions inside of us. Amen? So maybe your predisposition as an audience as you come into this season is, here we go again. Here we go again. I'll make it all happen again. I'll put it all together again. I don't know what this family would do without me. There are cogs in the machine, amen? Every family has people like that. Thank goodness. We would all die. Every organization has people like this. We would all die. Things wouldn't happen. Seems to me that maybe along the way... I like this passage of scripture. A person will reap what they sow. Have you found that to be true? Generally. Generally, maybe. Specifically, no. I mean, I've been really nice to some people and they haven't been nice back to me. I don't know if you know where that verse is spoken, but it's spoken in a context of work. It's spoken in the context about, you know, the talents where somebody did really good work. And so what did they get? They got more work. Can I get an amen? Because this is true. A person will reap what they sow. If you do good work, guess what? You're going to get more. Woo! (laughs) The good news of the gospel. Woo! And maybe you come into this season going, "I, I am unappreciated. I'm not... I think the coronation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords happens to a simple audience who are unseen. Because that's me and that's you. And we all feel that at some point. Whether it's true or not, we feel it. We feel it. It's an audience of the broken. It's an audience of the unseen. And then, I love this, it's an audience of the earnest. The earnest. I try to imagine if the angels would have sung over at the temple, appeared in the heavens... What do you think would have happened over there at the temple? I don't know. You know, some of you have had some formal theological training. No one can be a buzzkill better than theologians. I mean, no one can rip the life out of a story better than a bunch of theologians. Amen? I mean, some of them can add life too, but others of them can really kill it. And I have a feeling if the angels would have sang over at the temple, there would be people pulling out textbooks. Oh, we're going to need to look that up. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. Oh. I think it would have been analytical. I don't think there would have been a lot of joy or so. I think that those people in their fine robes with all their piety would have had to held it together. They wouldn't have been like, you know. I mean, what do we hear about the shepherds? It's a very emotional story. They were terrified. And that must have been fun. I mean, that must have been like, they were really in it. They were like, whoa! You know, they're not asking big analytical questions. They're not looking stuff up in a reference book. Yeah, angels are singing in the sky. That ain't normal. They're shaking. They're wondering. They're terrified. They're passing out. They're fainting. They're, they're being human. I, I bet over at the temple, 
I bet it would have been different. Uh, can you angels hold there? I mean, what happened to Zechariah? The angel Gabriel appears to him, and what does he say? How will I know this is true? I am Gabriel. I stand before God. But since you doubt it, you will not be able to speak until this thing comes to pass. Don't you think that would have happened? All the angels would have appeared. I think we're all having a group hallucination. I'm not sure this is real. What do you think? Let's consult. Let's have a committee meeting. Instead, the shepherds are in earnest. When the angels disappear from the sky, what do they say? I can't believe they kept us up this late. Let us go and see this thing that the angels have announced to us. Let us go. Let's get up out of our warm sleeping bags. I can't even get out of my bed in the morning. I'm going to go and see this thing that, that the angels have announced. And they go. And you know what happens when they go. They tell everybody on the way. And they're amazed at what they hear. And, and when they get to the place of the Christ child, they celebrate. And they tell Mary, Mary, you can't believe how we got here. And what does it say? And she, she treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And when they had seen the child, they went away praising God and telling everyone what they had seen. That is the most underrated Christmas card that's never been made. Why do we not have a Christmas card of the shepherds leaving the manger? Partying in the street on the way. <laughs> that would make a good Christmas card. I mean, it would be irreverent, but I would, that would be a great Christmas card. Yeah. Unless you change and become like a little child, you cannot experience the kingdom of heaven. And I think some of us are going through the motions of Christmas and some of us are a little cynical. <laughs> but I would encourage you to be childlike this week. As much as you can, be childlike. Set aside the cynicism, set aside the skepticism, set aside the formality, set aside going through the motions, and go ahead and laugh. Go ahead and play. Go ahead and have fun. Go ahead and laugh at the movie instead of being a movie critic. I know Hallmark is not necessarily turning out Academy Award winning movies. However, have fun anyway. Celebrate anyway. Be childlike anyway. These shepherds, part of why I think God chose the shepherds is because they hadn't built up all the resistance to all of the joy. They didn't know anything about it. They were broken, they were unseen, and when the angels appear, they, they respond in earnestness. This is great, glad tidings of great joy, and they get caught up in it. And it doesn't just happen in their brain, it happens in their emotions and in their heart. What's your predisposition as an audience? Because it makes a difference in the quality of the celebration, amen? Amen. Christmas shopping has changed, has it not? I mean, you used to go to a mall. Well, before that, there weren't malls. You went to a department store. Because a department store was a brilliant concept. One store and everything's in it. Thus, we call it a department store. Woo! 
And then we got specialized into the mall, and we went to the mall. But that was a thing. I'm going, we used to use this phrase, hey, when are you going Christmas shopping? I'm going Christmas shopping. That's changed a little, hasn't it? Kind of taking some of the fun out of it. I don't know how you like to do it. This is how I like to do it. Kids, make a wish list on Amazon. Because this is what I want to do. Oh, buy now. Oh, buy now. (laughs) That doesn't quite inspire the same amount of energy, does it? You know? So somewhere, and and trust me, I'm not going to the mall. I'm just saying. (laughs) Somewhere, we were more interactive with this season not so long ago. And somehow we got to get interactive with the season again. We, we probably will have to get up and do something. We'll probably have to get up and change something. We probably can't just sit around and be in our comfort zone. We probably got to get up and get involved and get connected and laugh out loud and be kind of silly and wear the stupid hat and whatever it is. Because I promise you this. Our children aren't holding back. They're, they're, not, they're not walking through the house going... I just can't have one more cookie. I just can't. I just can't. No, they're not. They're begging. They're begging. Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? Can I have a cookie? We ought to celebrate. We ought to go ahead and in earnest be an audience of celebration. And we got to get ramped into that because we've become so dignified and pious and boring that we're not good at it anymore. Amen? I mean... This will be crazy. Just be fun. Be fun. I think, the, I think the shepherds were mad fun the first Christmas, don't you? I think they were the irreverent, crazy uncle that you don't talk about. I think they were just brought all kinds of weirdness to the holiday. And it was a massive celebration. Finally, it was a simple audience of caregivers. Isn't it amazing that David was a shepherd And the angels make this coronation announcement to shepherds. And Jesus grows up to say, I am the good shepherd. This is the pattern of what I do. I take the sheep and I bring them together. And if there's a hundred sheep and 99 are safe and there's one lost, I'm the shepherd that will leave the 99 and go in search of the one lost sheep. That is my heart. That's who I am. That's what I'm like. That's how I'm wired. I am a caregiver. And I model my caregiving after these shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And I watch you. I watch over you. That is my heart. That is my passion. That is what I do. That is how I'm wired for the broken, for the unseen, for the cynical. I am the caregiver. What is your predisposition? It's okay for you to receive the care, and it's okay as you go off into this week to be a caregiver, to be a person who shares care, giving, loving, hoping. Sometimes somebody brought a dish to your house, and they're super proud of it, and you don't want it. It's ugly. Amen? What'd you make? Oh, it's a casserole. I saw it online. Can you give care at a level where you, you just dive in there and love it, no matter how bad it is? We ought to celebrate. 
And a great deal of this celebration has something to do with the predisposition of the audience to whom this holiday comes. Don't just go through the motions. And by all means, let's not be cynics. Let's be shepherds. Let's be shepherds. Let's be surprised and terrified and transformed and changed. And let's make it so that we can't keep our mouth shut. It's just good news. You just can't believe what I saw. You just can't believe what's happened to me. You just can't believe what's happening. You just can't believe it. God help us. As we celebrate in these moments and we think about what it means to be an audience predisposed to a celebration, would you allow us as we enter into this week to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to set aside our stress Maybe there's still logistical things that have to happen. And for those that are stressing out right now, just I pray that you'd help them with the details, but also to take a deep breath. And as we sing these powerful traditional words, Oh, come all ye faithful. I pray that we would really hammer down on joyful, triumphant, And I pray that as we march into this week, it would be a grand celebration of the incredible gift of your son to our story, to our life, to our brokenness, to the places we feel unseen. Teach us to celebrate. Give us a predisposition as the perfect audience for Christmas. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.